Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast of the United States. Phil Giraldi joins us now. Phil, always a pleasure. Thank you for uh, sharing your time and your thoughts with us. As I um, talk to uh, former intelligence agents like you and Larry Johnson and Ray McGovern and others, there seems to be uh, some debate going on in the intelligence community over uh, the document leaks, which the federal government attributes to this young man in Massachusetts, uh, Jack Teixeira. Um, we, we can talk later about whether he's a hero or a criminal. I happen to think he's a hero because he exposed the government's lies and the American public has the right to know that. But what I want to talk to you about is not the philosophical view of a hero or a goat, but the practical aspects of this. Is it likely that a 21-year-old weekend warrior, I don't mean to demean the National Guard, but he worked, you know, a couple of weekends a month. This is not somebody who works 60 hours a, a week uh, in the Pentagon. Uh, a 21-year-old weekend warrior could have had access to materials of this classified nature on his own without demonstrating a need to know. Or... Is it more likely that someone north of him on the totem pole, dismayed uh, with the uh, U.S. criminal involvement in the Russian-Ukraine war, fed this stuff to him so as to expose the government's lies and duplicity? Well, there are about four different theories floating around among my former colleagues, uh, all of which are plausible. Um, of course, the one theory is that uh, uh, he could not have had access to, uh, in particular to some of the CIA assessments that were among the documents that he stole and posted. So there is a uh, there is that would be supportive of the theory uh, that someone helped him get access to these things or may have provided him access uh, with with him being maybe unwitting of what exactly he was doing. Now, there, there are other th- theories um, that, in fact, he, uh, in his capacity as a sergeant, was working for some officers in the National uh, Guard that might have had access to these documents and that were careless themselves about leaving these things accessible, or available. Now, that's another plausible argument, too. Um, In my own heart, I would very much like to believe that this was, either way it played out, a deliberate act by him 
to expose all the lies that are going on and have been going on for over a year now uh, about the war in Ukraine. I would like to believe that that's the motive behind this. But at this point, since we haven't heard from the guy himself, which I find rather odd through a lawyer or through uh, something that has has come out with the uh, the FBI investigation or something like that, uh, we don't really know what his motive was and uh, as he sees it. So I'd be very interested to to see that, to hear that, and I would probably have to reserve judgment, but I would like to think that this was a whistleblower type act and that it will be seen by the U.S. public, which I think is is kind of happening. Um, did, as a, did you get a chance to look at these documents, Phil? Yeah, I did. And they, to me, I think the last time we talked, I, I said they looked to me like a lot PowerPoints, you know, the sort of briefing materials that have a lot of different information uh, on a on a page that someone is supposed to be in an audience and be looking at. So this kind of supports the theory that this these documents were produced for somebody higher up in the food chain, and somehow this guy might have had uh, incidental, uh, coincidental access to them. So uh, he has a, a bail hearing later today. And uh, the feds, as, as they uh, are good at doing, have leaked what they're going to say. They're going to say that the uh, materials that, that you viewed and your uh, colleagues viewed, he began posting in December. And the feds didn't notice this until April. How believable is that, that he was posting this stuff or the government says he was posting it to his buddies in, in this uh, chat room? for four months before one of them let the cat out of the bag. I find that the most unbelievable part of the story. Um, the, the federal government has been basically tracking these kinds of groups and these kinds of individuals. Uh, note how immediately when this guy was surfaced as the suspect, they immediately, uh, the uh, uh, Department of Justice immediately started saying that he was a white supremacist he was an anti-Semite, and, and he was a gun nut. Now, whose profile does that fit perfectly in terms of what our, your government has been looking into and the people that they've been tracking? So I, I find that the most implausible part of the story. Do you uh, share my view that it's a positive good uh, when this type of information that exposes the government's for, government for its lies, particularly its lies about war and killing, so that the American public knows whether or not the government uh, is worthy of belief. And, and before you, you answer that, the Secretary of Defense, who had to know the essence of what was in these documents, that Ukraine is losing badly, that its air defenses will be degraded down to useless by the end of May, testified under oath two weeks before these documents were revealed to the public uh, that he expects a good spring and even a better winter for the Ukrainian military. So isn't it good when the public knows that the government is lying, even lying under oath? Yeah, it's good that the public knows that. But again, we're running into the problem of a media that basically is not getting the story out. I mean, this uh, if you want to hear what you just said, 
you have to go to the alternative media. You have to you have to go when you and I are are, are on, or Larry Johnson, or or Colonel McGregor, and uh, you know people like that. Um, that's the tragedy here. We are being denied uh, the fourth estate. The fourth estate is not on our side anymore. Not on the side of the people. It's on the side of the government. And so the story is not getting completely out. But yes, it's good that the story is getting out at all because it's clear that they were lying absolutely about how successful this war effort was going. How um, uh, unusual is it for uh, a 21-year-old non-commissioned um, to, to have the security clearance that the government says uh, this young man had? Well, um, I'd have to say it, it is fairly usual. I, I had those clearances when I was a 22-year-old Sergeant E-5 in an intelligence outfit in uh, Berlin. So it's, uh, it's not exactly uh, unheard of uh, now, but it does not mean you have need to know. That doesn't mean that you can go walk into a, a, a skiff or a classified room and, and help yourself to documents just because you have the clearance. You have to have need to know. I don't think this guy had need to know. How is a need to know uh, granted or monitored? It's basically granted and monitored uh, bureaucratically. If you're working for, if this guy was working for, say, a lieutenant colonel or something like that, the lieutenant colonel would be the one who actually would have to um, provide him with access to documents that he needs for his work. And that would be limited to documents that he needs for his work. Okay. Uh, switching gears, um, you were recently uh, commented in one of your great uh, articles uh, about President Macron's uh, visit to Beijing and the comments he made literally on his jet flight from Beijing uh, back to Paris about uh, wanting to create a multipolar world and wanting to uh, liberate Europe from the oppressive thumb economically and militarily and politically uh, of the United States. Uh, before you expand on that, I want to throw in the mix a comment that President Putin made uh, about three weeks ago. You and I may have talked about this. I don't remember, Phil, uh, that the United States effectively, I think he may have said this a little tongue in cheek, still occupies Germany. He was referring, of course, to the long uh, occupation by the U.S. of its segment of, of what was then called West Germany after World War II. But the reason he said this is because of the near universal acceptance today that the Nord Stream pipeline was destroyed by the U.S. and the utter silence over this from German leadership. So with those two ideas in the mix, let me have your thoughts. Well, I thought uh, Macron's comments in, in China were refreshing. Um, he, he said basically that uh, uh, France and, um, and uh, anyone else who wants to get on the, on the wagon uh, should begin liberating themselves from the dominance of the U.S. dollar. And that's, that, is, that is a, shall we say, in economic terms, a nuclear device going off. Uh, the numbers of countries that are, are trading uh, free of the U.S. dollar for, and, uh, and avoiding petrodollars is growing. 
So I think this is a this is a refreshing move by Macron, and I hope it's the beginning of a much bigger move. What do you uh, think? What do you think will become uh, the reserve currency, uh, if not the U.S. dollar? Well, I would say the the obvious candidate is is the uh, the euro uh, currency, the eurozone, uh, which already is a bigger economy than the United States. So it's it's uh, it's an obvious one, um, and and maybe the the whole kind of concept of reserve currencies are, itself will become challenged. I think that's a possibility. So th- that was good to see. And the comment about Germany, of course, is. Um, uh, essentially, uh, Germany has been the U.S. poodle ever since uh, uh, the Second World War ended, and uh, this this more or less continues. And your example of uh, Nord Stream, which was undeniably done by the United States, even after Biden's warning that he was going to do it, and, and is now being denied or avoided. I say avoided. Uh, another example of of where U.S. dominance is not necessarily good for the world. What does Joe Biden gain by saber-rattling and threatening China? Well, I think his wife probably likes to hear it. And (laughs) uh, uh, I I, I don't know. I I don't get the China phobia. China over Taiwan does not threaten the United States in any way that I can understand. Um, and maybe if someone could explain it to me, or like Joe Biden explained it to me, I would understand it better, but I don't. I think Joe Biden wants to run for re-election as a wartime president, like his hero FDR, and he's willing to accept either a war in Ukraine or a war in China, neither of which could we possibly win. They, Phil, have we won a war since World War II? Um, Panama, wasn't it? And... Uh, <laughs> I guess if you want to call that a war. <laughs> no, of course we haven't won a war. And and, and the ones that we uh, act like we won, uh, we we come up with all these the things to support that that belief that uh, are not convincing. Uh, as I say, Panama is a, you know the one that comes to mind immediately. Right, right, and right. I, I, I realize you were being you, know, you you had tongue in cheek. Uh, why uh, is uh, Vladimir Putin's presidency uh, an obstacle to the foreign policy of uh, Tony Blinken and uh, Victoria Newland. Well, I think the whole story there is that um, the justification, and this also comes out of the Pentagon, is to weaken Russia so that Russia cannot be a dominant power in Eastern Europe uh, and in the Middle East. Uh, I think that's the argument. Um, but the fact is that uh, that Russia is um, is a serious major power, whether they like it or not. And um, the the theory that by grinding them down in a war against Ukraine, eventually they will be a lesser power, I think is is a little bit hard to sustain. So uh, two powers that uh, the U.S. Uh, and our uh, Israeli allies hate: Russia and Iran both doing pretty well economically right now, even though both are the subject of draconian sanctions imposed by presidents. That's right. Both of them are selling oil uh, to whoever wants to buy it with whatever currency they want to use, and they're doing quite well. And um, uh, the, the stories of uh, 
I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures of supermarkets in Moscow that look pretty well stocked. And uh, so it's, um, uh, again, this is a propaganda that we're, we're saying, oh, yeah, our sanctions are hurting them. Well, sanctions always hurt somebody. And it's usually the poorer people that they that get hurt. But the, the fact is that uh, the case that sanctions are a successful foreign policy tool, in my, my opinion, has never been made. Uh, the Wall Street Journal published an article about four weeks ago in which it purported to uh, demonstrate uh, that sanctions are beginning to bite, uh, particularly uh, Russian banks. Uh, two weeks later, the author of the uh, article uh, was uh, arrested uh, for uh, and charged with espionage. All of this followed the FBI arresting uh, a dark-skinned, blonde-haired, British soccer star whom the FBI claims is really a KGB agent. Uh, is there a connection with all these things? Uh, well, the connection is that um, governments in general, and, and I don't exclude anyone from this, uh, have to occasionally show that they're tough uh, and are taking care of uh, national security by arresting these people. I mean, I think this Wall Street journalist... Uh, uh, who was arrested in Moscow. It, it's another case like that. This this guy might have been feeding information to his embassy contacts. By that, I mean U.S. embassy contacts, uh, which is normal procedure. Uh, I saw it over and over again in Europe uh, um, time and again. But, um, you know, so is he a spy or is he not a spy? Is he this? We have to show we're being tough, so we make an arrest. And the United States does this all the time. Uh, does the CIA recruit journalists or dispatch officers and under the facade of being journalists? Um, both. Uh, both historically speaking, and I would assume they still do it. Um, there are certain uh, things that you can't do. Um, like, for example, if you want to recruit an American journalist and... Um, and put him in some situation where he's in danger. There are some um, prohibitions on that kind of thing. But if I were to recruit, recruit a German journalist or an Italian journalist, it's it's a free fire zone. Cy Hirsch, um, famous in, in modern American history for uh, exposing government wrongdoing uh, and excess, famous for having three sources for uh, all of his allegations, uh, hugely embarrassing uh, to the government on, on almost every one of these exposés, uh, recently revealed that when uh, William Burns, the director of the CIA, uh, visited President Zelensky a couple of weeks ago, he handed him a list, and the list uh, included 35 generals and President Zelensky. Uh, as having uh, embezzled $400 million, $400 million in cash from the cash that the U.S. government has sent over there to Ukraine to uh, accompany uh, the hardware and the ammo that it sent. So a couple of questions. One, is this credible? And two, why in God's name do we send cash? And three, how do we send cash? Is it wired from the U.S. Treasury to a bank? Or is it the way George W. Bush uh, sent it to uh, Iraq, literally pallets of $100 bills 
uh, on uh, cargo jets unloaded at an airport? Well, in this case, I'll answer the last thing first. I think in this case, the, uh, the money would have been uh, wired uh, to the Ukrainian central bank. Uh, and then the fraud that was carried out was basically to um, get uh, money to pay for fuel for the Ukrainian army. And then they were doing a, uh, doing a job and buying the, uh, the, the money was calibrated at uh, world prices, which are like US prices. And then they were going and buying it from the cheapest seller, which was Russia. <laughs> and Iran and places like that. So they were buying the cheap stuff and charging us for the expensive stuff. And that's where the 400 million came from, more or less. Okay. Be before you get into the rest of this, I, I just want to jump in because when Larry Johnson uh, told uh, Judging Freedom this, I'm scratching my head. And now you're saying you're, you're backing him up. The U Russians are selling oil to the Ukrainians. That's correct? Not directly. But see, oil is fungible. And uh, once you sell it, you sell it to anybody, they can then sell it to somebody else. And uh, I don't know the exact cir circuit that was followed uh, to get it from Russia to, to Ukraine, but that's more or less what happened. And uh, I believe it's highly plausible. Why not? If you're going to get Uncle Sam paying more for something that you, know, you can buy cheaper, uh, that's exactly the kind of business Zelensky and his buddies are in. Okay, now back to the list. Is this the type of thing uh, that the head of the CIA uh, would do? Say, hey, Mr. President, we are aware of all of this thievery, and we also know that some of it was done by you. you got to do something about it. Is that the type of thing you'd expect the director of the CIA uh, to be saying to the president of a foreign uh, country that's begging us for armed for military equipment and cash well normally you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that uh but i think in this case it's a measure if all of this is exactly as true as described is a measure of the the fact that the white house actually is starting to get concerned about the behavior of our allies uh particularly ukraine and uh felt it had to send a message now, this, this kind of thievery by Zelensky has been going on forever, and everybody's known about it. And uh, how many villas does he have? Uh, one in Miami, one in Switzerland, one in Israel that, that are known of. And, and, you know, so this has been going on for a while. Wow. And, and this is the reputation of the Ukrainian uh, military and, and political leadership into which Joe Biden and the Congress has brought us. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's kind of uh, one of the great tragedies again of this whole thing. Uh, Zelensky has been uh, has been kind of uh, praised as the uh, the new George Washington, um, if I might use that metaphor. And they want to put a uh, a sculpture of him up in the uh, the Capitol building, don't they? Uh, this is all a fraud, and and uh, Republicans are in it just like the Democrats. I mean, yes. if you listen to some of our eminent senators who who want to invade Mexico and uh, and and so, you know, this this is if this were a comic magazine or something that you or I were writing for and we wrote this story up, nobody would believe it. Phil Giraldi, always a pleasure. 
the the judging freedom off uh, audience is so fond of you and believes what you say and I do, even though some of this stuff from a rational basis is uh, is tough to take. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me again. If you like all this, like and subscribe, my friends. More as we get it. Scott Ritter, right here, four thirty uh, Eastern this afternoon. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom. <laughs>